0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Injured Reserve Podcast with your host, me, myself, and I, Mitchell Anderson. So let's jump right into it. Uh, the uh, season's coming to a near here in the NBA. Uh, some teams less than two games, three games away, and then we uh, enter into the postseason. But uh, come around this time, there's always debate on, you know, MVP, rookie of the year, six-man, all this uh All these kind of talks, right? So uh, right now the debate for, I already stated, you know, my sixth man of the year. And perhaps maybe it's biased, but, you know, me being a Derrick Rose fan, I've always, uh, you know, showed support for him. And so I think he's my candidate for sixth man of the year. But for rookie of the year, uh, the talks mainly, I mean, I think has to be the favorite, no doubt. Luka Donich uh, out of the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, for what he's done and really kind of, in a sense, come out of nowhere and, um, you know, just the way he, uh, he, he's just kind of just very under the radar. You really don't hear a lot, a lot about him. Uh, a few games here and there. And then, uh, Trey young made a strong, you know, comeback this season, He struggled a little bit, but was able to get back in rhythm, which a lot of rookies do. And that's normal. <clears throat> Uh, either way, both their teams, you know, not going to make the playoffs. They'll fall short. But, you know, going to the offseason, I think they'll see what they have on paper and see, you know, the improvements that Luca and Trey both have done this past season. So it's it's a positive. So the negative, yeah, not making the playoffs. The positive, hey, you know, we got something here. Let's see what kind of future, future we can build around uh, these young men. But nonetheless, um, the debate... Honestly, you know, with Trey, he was struggling earlier this season, and Luca just uh, dominating uh, right from the gates, right from the get-go. I believe, you know, Trey, he covered a lot of ground when it came to the post-All-Star break. Ever since then, he has been averaging 26 points per game since then. But nonetheless, I mean, overall, I think that's just a little bit too much ground to cover. Uh, He is on... Overall, averaging 19 a game, four rebounds, eight assists, which is phenomenal, uh, no doubt about that. But Luca putting up 21, eight boards, six assists, you know, just to you know, like I said, you take you take a team, Dallas, you know, someone like along the likes of Mark Cuban, and I'm assuming this is probably you know Dirk's last season. He hasn't been really the Dirk that we've known in the past, so. With that being said, they'll see what they have to cover Looking at that roster But either way, I mean, man Luca's done a wonderful job And um, hes It's just uh, That's definitely, I believe, the rookie of the year No doubt, in my mind uh, Definitely Probably I'm trying to, find, trying to figure out the word for it But definitely the dark, ho- dark horse When it came to the NBA draft Cause I didn't even hear hear about him until he started making waves in the NBA. Heard a Trey, knew a lot about him coming to Oklahoma. Received kind of mixed reviews. Some people were hopeful on him, this and that. I was kind of mixed on him coming uh, coming up into the pros last year. He did make a significant impact when he played for the Oklahoma Sooners. He was their go-to guy, but you know he 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 does shoot the ball a lot when it came when he was in college. So in He's still somewhat developing, trying to be more efficient when it comes to the field goal percentage. So, with that being said, I think, you know, over the offseason, he'll he'll be able to prove his field goal percentage will improve. He's at at about, give or take, he's about 41-42% somewhere around that area. But either way, I mean, a lot of rookies do struggle out fresh out the gate when you know getting acclimated into the pros, things of that nature. It's just like you know, any other professional sport, you know, uh, it can be rookie quarterbacks, it don't matter. I mean, Peyton Manning, a prime example, you know, Indy drafted him out of Tennessee, he struggled, um, he threw more touchdowns than picks, or excuse me, more interceptions than touchdowns, and you know, so looking. Looking back on that now, you know, at the time being, you know, there'd be a lot of skepticism, like, uh, I don't know. But then again, you gotta think, you know, this is a rookie. You know, it's everything is a baby step. Every they're experiencing everything for the first time when you reach that professional level. So obviously, you know, the rest is history with Peyton, two-time Super Bowl champion, and you know, NFL Hall of Famer. But either way, you know, Brady was the same way, six-round draft pick. NFL draft, um, you know, coming out of Michigan, he, you know, he did have some um, solid credentials, you know, winning a bowl game, but uh, not a lot of people had a lot of faith in him, because I mean, truth be told, you look at the NFL Combine, and it's the worst Combine combine tape that you've ever seen, I mean, the worst 40-yard, <laughs> I think his 40-yard dash was, uh, five, four, five, six. It was pretty, it was iffy. And then you see him and he's, he's tall, lengthy, but, um, you know, he's just, he's too small in weight. You know, at the time, I think he was not even close to 220. A lot of people, you know, at least want someone, you know, coming into the drafts above 220, I would think. But who knows? And, I mean, times are different now either way. So the same thing can be said for Kyler Murray. I mean, he's a small dude, barely 5'9. Uh, I don't even know what his weight is. I think they they uh exaggerated on his resume. I think they put like two fifteen, two twenty, but I don't even think he's that, to be honest with you. So, but uh not to get too off track. Uh, Trey and Luca, definitely uh, phenomenal rookies. Uh, most definitely Trey Young's definitely honorable mention for rookie of the year, but you got to give props and where credit is due. Luka Donage, he's done a phenomenal job this year. And, uh, either way, he's, he, he's been consistent for the most part this season. And, uh, Trey's just, you know, he struggled fresh out the gate. Like I said, in Oklahoma, he shut the ball a lot, kind of did a little bit in Atlanta, but he was able to improve his game as the season progressed. And, uh, He's, you know, slowly but surely, you know, get his game back on track. So, and that's, you know, that's a significant difference, when we, you know, between rookies that are either getting some credentials and some attention and some that are under the radar. So, Luca, no one really, you know, not a lot of hype and he was able to do things w- without the spotlight on him until he started making noise and putting up these numbers. Trey, he had the attention, he had the, the spotlight on him, uh, whole things, you know, the whole nine. So there's a lot of pressure. So, this is, you know, there's a difference of that pressure and not being pressured. So Trey had to f- face that adversity of media attention, what he's going to do, how is he going to do, things of that nature, you know. But either way, like I said, he's averaged 26 a game since the post All Star break era. And he's. And he's covered as much ground as he can. He's made, he's improved his resume, resume for candidate, cadence, cadency, uh, excuse me, uh, for rookie of the year. But, you know, he's, I think he's just going to fall a little bit short. So, Luka Donich, I mean, kudos to him. I think being, if I was a Dallas Mavericks fan, there was a lot, a lot of faith and hope in the in that franchise. Uh, a lot of people are comparing him. I've, I I hate comparisons fresh out the gate for rookies, because uh, especially based off one season, because people are making comparisons to him like a Larry Bird like esque. But you know, I don't like making that comparison that that quickly. That that assumption. I mean, that's a big comparison compared to someone like Larry Bird. Um, you know what Bird was able to do in his Boston Celtics era during the eighties, uh, you know, just how he, how he was able to make that franchise significant again. is just, uh, that's, that's a part, that's a hard thing to do, you know, especially in this era of NBA, you know, Dallas hasn't won a championship in eight years. So they got a lot of ground to cover nonetheless. But, um, I don't, like I said, I don't like the assumptions and predictions of this is so-and-so's next whatever. You know, it's kind of like Zion Williamson out of Duke right now. That's a lot of hype. He's going to get a lot of attention. How is he going to progress? How is he going to play? Is he just going to be the big man, grab the boards and, you know, dunk, layups, things of that nature? Is that all all he can do? Uh, If that is, cool. But is it really on the the resume of being so much good and great you know a lot of, nowadays the NBA is different a lot of big men can shoot the three Um Giannis Dirk Kevin Durant uh, those guys you know they can they or they have us if it's not a three they can shoot from you know not with inside the perimeter of the the hoop they can shoot and they got a solid medium range shot you know so Shaq was never really that that dude to make the medium range shots he's always that big guy grab the boards during his era during the early 2000s with the Lakers I mean hell even in the NBA finals the dude was averaging 33 and 16 and putting up points of 45 and 20 boards this was before Kobe became the Kobe Bryant that we knew that we know now so and during you know there was a time in their first nba finals appearance back in like 2000 when they faced the indiana pacers and they won in five and you know kobe actually was hurt for one of them and shaq just you know took over the game just give gave the big fella the ball and he give you 40 50 a night if uh necessary he just box out and bully but nowadays that's different you know so big man shooting the ball can zion do it i don't know um, either way, uh, with that being said, let me focus on Duke's attention right now. So supposedly reports are coming out that Mike Strzeski wants to kind of look back on the game plan when it comes to the one and done scenario. Supposedly he wants more guys to stay the, compared to the one and done era. And this is the thing. It's just Mike Strzeski never did the one and done. And wasn't really a fan of it. And the only one really making it a big deal was John Calipari at the time. So once he started winning, then Mike Trzeski noticed that he was starting to struggle during his days at Duke. And there was a question whether or not, you know, he was going to be on the hot seat. Because he, he just didn't like the idea of the one and done. But, you know, eventually he changed things around and got things going Ty Jones justice Winslow you know think got players like that won a championship back in twenty fifteen once he transgressed to the one and done rule so now he's looking back on it and he's looking on the paper and he's reviewing and just like i said he he wants to go back to that old school thing and it's just man you he's got to realize it's just the one going back and thinking if the one and done it, isn't for you I, for that that caliber that type of school, uh, Duke University. It's never been a football school. It's always been basketball since since Krzyzewski, you know, entered those doors, signed the contract, and the rest is history. You know, from the nineties of Grant Hill and Christian Laettner uh, to uh, Kyrie Irving, you name it. Uh, that's uh, that's Duke basketball. You know, that's that's the legacy there. So, I think, um, I think he just should just maintain that same type of energy, and um, definitely, I think him just looking at it like, man, this this was a mistake. I think it's kind of in a sense he's lacking accountability, simply due to the fact that this past season, uh, when they fell short against Michigan State it was kind of a disappointment. It was a failure, if anything. Because everyone, you know, from, from the get-go, from when with Zion and all these other guys on their team, you you look at that roster and it's just like, oh, that's Final Four easily. You know what I mean? I, I had Duke win it all in my bracket. <clears throat> I, I had them win it at all. And they fall short in the Elite Eight to Michigan State. And, um... Yeah, I think I think that's definitely one of the primary reasons why he's kind of making a little bit of an excuse on the one and done cuz he wants more guys to stay there. And, but I think he needs to realize and a lot of other coaches need to realize like like I said, it's a different era now whether NBA, NCA, it's uh, nowadays some coaches might think it's kind of harder to coach the kids. But they need to adapt just as much as the game is adapting. You know what I mean? So it's kind of the issue with Tom Izzo in Michigan State a couple weeks back when he was young as a player and, you know, the media got on him. And it was a big fiasco and controversy. And people, you know, people have their opinions of like, oh, you know, he's, he's just being a coach, this and that. It, it, it don't matter if you're being the coach or not. It's just either way. I mean, if you get in a young man's face like that and your own players have to hold you back and calm you down, I mean, you need to realize it can't be like that. Coach Knight would not last more than probably two, three seasons in NCAA, NCAA even if a season. You know, him throwing fits back in his heyday at Indiana and throwing the chair across the court, and he, that won't last nowadays. There's no way. So, and people need to realize, like, oh, you know, Kids nowadays are so sensitive It's not that It's just you need to realize Hey, times change People evolve, people progress It's called maturity We learn, we live and learn So, with that being said Mike Krzyzewski, um, I, don't, I personally, I don't think he's going to change anything When it comes to his recruiting strategy I think it stays the same uh, He stays with the one and done kind of thing uh, Whether he likes it or not He needs to realize realize this is reality and this is what it is you know and that's it you know simple as that uh, personally I I hate the rule not because so much of wanting players to stay it's not that I think they should go back to when you know LeBron and Kevin Garnett did it you know they they, they joined the NBA straight out of high school and obviously you can see they did just fine LeBron's still doing fine Kobe did did it straight out of high school and you know he won five championships. So I don't, you know, if the, if you know if some kids, you know, that are getting that much media attention and people are looking at them whether NBA recruits and looking at them like he, this kid could go good could, could go first round, I don't see why they feel the need to waste their time in college ball. You know, some kids have to cuz they're still developing and honing their skills. So, but, um, you know, guys like Zion, Zion didn't have to play at Duke this year. It it was fresh within about 10 games. It's like, this kid doesn't have to be there. He doesn't, it didn't even look, you know, I don't want to say it didn't look like he didn't want to be there, but you could tell just on the court, just like he could go to the, he should be in the NBA, you know, fresh out of high school. He don't, he don't, you know, he don't have to do one year at college. That's a waste of time. And you know you gotta Go into that mindset If you're that number one recruit Such as Zion You gotta think like man Like I don't wanna do this (laughs) You know I just wanna play basketball And that's it I don't wanna go to class I wanna do these studies I wanna do Go to college basketball uh, Training practices Whatever You know a lot And it's It's things Things like that you know So Like I said I don't think uh, Mike Shousecki is going to change his recruiting strategy. Uh, if he does, that's gonna. I think that will affect him significantly, and I think he'll struggle like he did in the past. But like I said, um, he just the uh, dis. It was just a kind of a disappointing season. And if you notice, couple of, they they struggled a little bit. You know, they even struggled against UCF prior to the Michigan State game. They almost lost that one. UCF, I mean, one little, you know, they were a tip ball into the hoop away from lo- from losing. Uh, University of Central Florida had them. They had, they had the game. They had Duke on the ropes. But they, you know, they just couldn't close it out within the final five seconds or so. So, and that's why I think, you know, I think one of the primary reasons why they struggled was, I don't think... Mike Truesdski was so much hard hard on them, and he didn't he doesn't know how to cope with that kind of thing. He, he how can I say this? He wasn't so much uh, take control when it comes to the, their offense, because he's just not so sure how to go about it. So, um, like I said, they, they that that goes back to uh, athletes or kids being so sensitive it's not that you just you have to find a way to be adaptable you know in an environment things change you have to find a way around it it's just it's life in general that's that's just how things are but um duke will you know they'll, they'll still be relevant they'll, it, my, uh, coach k he'll still be there and i don't he's not going to change anything i think he'll he'll think about it and he'll think you know what this was their season but hey you know what I gotta take some I gotta take the blame too but to change things back let's go back to the NBA and (laughs) a recent comment was made by a man who's a former Boston Celtic uh, NBA champion and I'll read off your resume Uh, his resume excuse me 10-time all-star um four time all NBA. Uh and that was it. So NBA champion, ten time All Star, and four four time uh all NBA. Oh in finals MVP, excuse me. So he's one one title, one finals MVP. Uh former Boston Celtic, uh Paul Pierce. So Paul Pierce said recently, um that he was, uh, he made some comments of him being better than Dwayne Wade. Now, I get it. You know, athletes, when they're being compared to so and so, they're going to say that they're better than the other person. So, he was kind of put on the spot, and they were comparing players, this and that, whatever show that he was on. And it was with uh, Jalen Rose. And. <clears throat> They compared Paul Pierce's career to Dwayne Wade. And (laughs) I get it. Like, you being an athlete, you have somewhat of an ego uh, comparing yours to someone else's. But there's also being real, uh, being realistic. And, uh, you know, just uh, they compared him to Dwayne Wade. And Dwayne Wade is significantly better than Paul Pierce. I would think most people would agree. And ta- not to diss Paul Pierce. I mean, he's he, his career was solid. He's definitely a future Hall of Famer. But, I mean, hey, okay. So, he averaged 25-4 and four for his career. Amazing, right? He stayed about two, three years too long in the league. And uh, he played until 39. By that time, you know, he's right on the Clippers bench. He just wasn't the Paul that we knew. Wade... You know, he knows his time's coming up, hence why he announced this is the last dance of the season. And, you know, he knows, you know, father time is undefeated. He's 37 this year, and that's as much as he can push his body. Uh, playing over 1,000 NBA games, starting at over 900. Still, you know, putting up solid numbers, coming off the bench, 15 a game, not bad at all. Uh, the heat on the ropes uh they might make the playoffs they might not but um you know 13 time all-star 3 time 3 time NBA champion 3 time all defensive all-star MVP uh scoring champion 8 time all NBA and uh finals MVP so Heat, his career numbers 22 5 and 5 So on paper, yeah, it doesn't show, you know, the numbers that big of a gap. But when you look at the accolades and the awards and the accomplishments, I mean, there's no comparison. And people in Paul Pierce brought up the arguments like, yeah, well, he had Shaq and he he played with LeBron and Chris Bosh. It's just like, man, dude. And like I said, that goes into where the ego needs to get checked. You know, he needs to realize that he played with uh, Kevin Garnett uh Ray Allen, you know, and they even had Shaq on their team for uh a, a year or two. I can't remember exactly how long. But that's where, you know, it's it's one thing to have pride in being your own man, but it's also being real realistic as well. So uh the when it comes to the awards, the the accolades do not compare. Not even close. Uh Wade's personally Wade is definitely Proud, he. I have to go on the list, but I don't know if I said prior before on the podcast. I might have, I just don't remember. But I think Wade, Dwayne Wade, is definitely probably uh, all time list. He's probably. I want to say he he's definitely he's definitely top fifty, top twenty five might be pushing it, maybe not. Like I said, I have to I have to look at everything as a whole because that. It's a lot of players to look into. It's a lot of legends, a lot of Hall of Famers. But he's definitely top 50 all time. Definitely top 5 shooting guard of all time. No doubt about that. Uh, the way, man, uh, where his where his career got cemented and legacy and you realize what kind of man this dude was going to be was when <clears throat> back his first Finals appearance. You know, it was Miami Heat against Dallas Mavericks and um, they were down 2 and things weren't looking too solid, and all of a sudden, Wade just went on a tear, and putting up 35, and 40, and 45, just taking over the entire series, I mean, that's, that as honestly, as a kid, seeing that, that as one of the best performances I've ever seen in NBA Finals history, and so, and you don't, you don't, you can't, nothing really reflects on that when it comes to Paul Pierce's career, you, when you Think Paul Pierce, you think the first thing comes to your mind is the big three they formed in Boston and they won a title. And they they made uh two finals appearances and they uh they beat the Lakers once and then they lost to them again like a year after. So uh either way, you know, you don't think really significant of Paul Pierce's career of really so much taking over games, and I'm not saying he hasn't taken over games. But uh, it's nothing that really pops in your mind. Paul Pierce, you think the big three. Wade, really, you think of, like, his first title run. He had, you know, Shaq left L.A. They kept Kobe. And uh, Wade ended up taking over that series back in, like, 06 against Dallas. And then eventually, you know, I mean, hell, back in uh, 2008, he averaged 30 a season. So uh <coughs> phenomenal career. Uh Paul Pierce, I don't I don't I I don't have him my top fifty to be honest. <laughs> uh he might be honorable mention, but uh comparing the, the awards it's not even close. Uh so but with that being said, uh m- much love to to Paul Pierce and Dwayne Wade. But uh when it comes to the comparison, like I said, you you have to realize, you know, there's the difference of having pride, and then there's ignorance, and then there's, you know, being realistic about certain scenarios and certain uh, individuals. So, uh, Dwayne Wade has definitely uh, the the longevity. His uh, he's even his longevity in the NBA is a lot better than Paul Pierce's. So, and he was able to accept this role, and you know. Which is, which for someone such as along the likes of Dwayne Wade is even more, um, how can I say this? It's more admirable. It's more, you know, just makes me more of a bigger fan of him. Because a lot, like I said before in previous podcasts, Alan Iverson, Carmelo Anthony, uh, they struggle to take up that role of being a six man and come off the bench. That's why, you know, when Carmelo signed with Houston early in the season, eventually things didn't work out. He didn't like his role. It's just like, look, man, you got to realize you're, you're not Carmelo Anthony of the Knicks anymore or Denver. You're, you know, you're just a role player now. And star players like that or AI have a hard time adjusting to and have a hard time accepting that. So they they try and keep the glory days alive. It's just like, man, it's, you got to realize those days are over father time is it's unconquerable no doubt about that but um, with that being said I'm going to take a quick little break and you are listening to injured reserve podcast Welcome back. This is injured reserve podcast. So today uh, makes uh, Sunday, I guess, a little bit better. Uh, Anything else? uh, Sundays are usually, you know, Sundays are kind of like more of like, ugh, dreading the upcoming week, work, school, whatever it may be that consists of your schedule. Every once in a while, we get that Sunday. It's a special treat. Super Bowl Sunday, you know, whatever. Uh, today, uh, WrestleMania WrestleMania 35, um, you know, the Super Bowl for wrestling fans. Uh, I'm a wrestling fan, but personally, I haven't kept up on it in, I, I don't know, a long while. It's It's been a minute, but uh, I was checking it out, and I'm just thinking, like, man, like, I'm looking at this roster that they have, and it's just like, ugh, I just remember, you know, kids to, excuse me, kids today will never know uh the the privilege of watching the attitude era or the monday night wars i mean man like for people who do watch wrestling or don't know wrestling uh people that don't know <laughs> the monday night wars was like just as big as in the fall time as when uh Monday night football was on. That you know Monday night football at the time would legit have competition. Nowadays Monday night raw is like meh, it's childish, it's kids play, it's PG, you know. Th- things like that and it's kind of unbearable. But man back back in the back in the day from like the 90s to like early 2000s wrestling was like the thing. I was such a huge fan as a kid. Uh Stone Cold, Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels, The Rock, Undertaker Undertaker, Degeneration X, and, you know, and WCW, you and that that was just WWE. Formerly it used to be WWF. And then WCW, you had, you know, uh DNWO with Kevin Nash and uh, Scott Hall, Hulk Hogan, Diamond Dallas Page, uh Goldberg, you know. Back, like I said, Monday nights, man, uh, they were just phenomenal to watch. It was always something to look forward to. Uh, I remember as a kid, <laughs> I had, my bedtime was nine o'clock, so Monday night Raw would come on at nine o'clock. So my mom put me to bed, and I remember you know being in my room uh, every Monday night. <laughs> I had to tune in, but you know I turn on the TV and turn on the volume as low as possible, as low as I can. And um, <laughs> it's just, it was just one of those things, man. Every Monday night, it was always something to look forward to as a kid. But nowadays, like I said, kids nowadays, it, WWE is huge. It's a billion dollar company. I'm not saying it's not popular by any means. It's a worldwide phenomenon. But back then, man, like when when competition was at the highest of the high, WCW and WWE. I mean fighting for ratings, the Monday night wars, you know, how how was the episode this past week on WCW? What'd you see? Would you miss? Were you flicking back and forth? You know, which team are you on? Are you pro WCW? Are you pro WWE? Or you both? Whatever. You know, but either way, every Monday night, people fail to realize is that, you know, um, Monday night football was cool, but wrestling was cooler. (laughs) and at that time i mean people were tuning in to check out you know the new world new world order you know what are they going to do this week or degeneration x what antics they going to do now you know what i mean each each week you know they were pushing the envelope further and further you know goldberg with his undefeated streak at like 140 something wins is going to lose this week um you know um Stone Cold Steve Austin, the Rebel. Uh, what's he gonna do with, against the McMahon's? Those storylines were awesome, and then you know uh, The Rock, his catchphrases, his promos. The, he's the greatest, you know, trash talker of all time when it came when it comes to WWE. There's no doubt about that. Um, so yeah, man, it's just <laughs> like I said, kids today, man. Monday night. Monday night. Was just it was a special thing back in the day. It was fun to watch, and you know, seeing the roster now on WrestleMania 35, I'm familiar with some of the names, and I followed a couple of years back, and it's just it's meh. It doesn't look exciting to me anymore, and I don't know if it's part of getting older, but I don't even think it's that. You know, I just even a couple of years past, you know, I've still tuned on to WrestleMania even when I was not really paying that close attention, I would and I want it. I was on and off. Now, now I'm just not even interested at all. You know, it was just, it was, it's just not the same. And, you know, people are still entertained. And that's cool. That's great. I'm not knocking it. But the attitude era was something special. It's just something that can never be duplicated. Unless, you know, the only way that could happen is somehow if, if, if TNA impact, would somehow start making a comeback on ratings. Because that's the only thing that developed the kind of talent that we saw in the 90s. Uh, there was a time where Monday Night Raw might not make it. They were losing in their ratings. Why? Because they, they were childish. They were PG. Now they were just for kids. And people you know, were bored of it. They wanted to see something that was almost authentic. And that's what WCW did with NWO. You know, Hulk Hogan for the first time ever, turning, you know, uh being a heel. He was always the the good guy. You know, eat your vitamins, say your prayers, this and that. That was cool in the eighties. Once he got in the nineties, people grew tired of it. He you know, you hear it for a decade, that's cool. But after a while it's just like, you know what, you you're the same. You're not changing anything. Be be a bad guy. Do something. Be controversial. That's what he did. <laughs> that's what made WCW cool. And they, they, they had the, the ratings and everything. You know, they had the sponsors. Hell, I mean, you had NBA players like Dennis Rodman coming on there and Carl Malone. You know, WCW had it all for a minute, you know, and soon Monday Night Raw, you know, they, they had to adapt. They had to improvise their talent um, and with their younger talent. Because WCW was signing all the older talent that WWE had Like Hogan, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash uh, uh, Randy Machman Savage And that was their problem Yeah, they had all these legends, Ric Flair But they weren't developing talent And the crazy thing is they had great talent, young talent To develop But ego, you know, gets the best of people And that's what happened So, it's like, it's kind of like the, you know, like, uh, Green Bay and Pittsburgh scenario. So, in uh, the NFL, I mean. But, um, (laughs) uh, WCW did have great young talent, you know. They had Chris Jericho, they had Ray Mysterio, they had Latino Heat, Eddie Guerrero, Chavo Guerrero. But they just never put them in the spotlight, you know. So, that was the problem. WWE, they, you know, it's like, all right, we lost these guys. It's like, all right, let's see what we can prove now. You know, they had, you know, they had Stone Cold Steve Austin, Bret Hart, uh, The Rock. And they just pretty much, you know, kind of gave the creative skills to all those guys. Like Stone Cold or The Rock. It's just like, all right, you know, obviously what we've been doing for a while isn't working. So, we need to get our ratings back, or this company's going to fold. And that's what they did. And, well, you know, the rest is history. The Attitude Era was, it was, man, the Attitude Era was awesome. It was the swearing, the promos, the trash talking, you know, uh, the hardcore matches, Hell in a Cell ladder matches, the Hardy Boys, Edge and Christian, the Dudley Boys. That, man, that, it was fun to watch. I mean it is it's just and it's something you know it's kind of sucks we we never see to this day and it's kind of ironic cuz history somewhat repeating itself now um i look at that roster that WWE has now and they're failing to you know <clears throat> give the talent where the spotlight is deserved uh, and there's guys like you know they're constantly pushing like a Roman Reigns and He's just, he's not that, he's just, you know, he's okay, but he's not entertaining. He's boring. And you can hear it from the crowd. They constantly boo the guy. Um, You know, Kofi Kingston, that's a guy that should have had the spotlight a couple years ago. At the time when I was watching, he was basically a Shawn Michaels 2.0. But, you know, the the skits and the creative skills from the staff they give him, it's just like, I give him credit because I would have walked out. I didn't like what they were doing with him, but he's a Shawn Michaels 2.0. Arguably, maybe more athletic, but they never pushed him, and that, you know, that sucks. So, WWE kind of squanders the talent that they have now and push the wrong ones. But, um, either way, uh, I'm going to take a quick little break, and you are listen- listening to Injured Reserve Podcast. Welcome back to the Injured Reserve Podcast. So, man, this past week, not only has it been somewhat controversial when it comes to comments such as Paul Pierce, but not as significantly controversial as Conor McGregor. So, social media nowadays, I mean, hell, anything and everything can be damn near leaked. Or anything that anyone has said in the past can be brought up again and bite you in the ass. But either way, I mean, nowadays, you have to be well aware on what you should and should not say, not only as an individual, but as an athlete, as an entertainer, as a star, whatever you want to call it, you know, things like this, you have to be able to, you know, humble yourself from time to time, take a step back, take a breather, even when emotions are high, you got to realize that logic is low. So, Conor McGregor (laughs) went on Twitter and said some controversial stuff. Uh, Khabib, uh, God, I I can never pronounce his last name. Khabib, uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name, but you all know who I'm talking about. The UFC lightweight champion, Khabib, uh, beat Conor McGregor uh, a couple months back. Uh, And the thing is, What I don't get about some fighters is that if they go on social media, I get about talking trash. That's fine. You know, all the greats have done it. Floyd Mayweather, Muhammad Ali, you know, that's natural. It's part of the game. It's promotion. I get it. Some fighters aren't like that. That's okay, too. So (laughs) what I don't get is Conor McGregor. I just don't get on how you can talk trash to someone after they beat you. Now, with that being said, Conor McGregor is 2-2 two two in those last four fights. This last previous win was an impressive, outstanding win against Eddie Alvarez to unify both titles at the time when he was uh, featherweight and he won the lightweight. Uh, then he beat Nate Diaz for that comeback fight they lost previously against Nate Diaz. And so, either way, I mean, his no doubt about it, no one's disputing his legacy. It's amazing for what he's been able to do for the sport in general. What the thing is, is that I think a lot of people don't realize is that this fight wasn't close. And whether, you know, the biggest hardcore Conor McGregor fans don't want to realize, I'm a fan of Conor. But at the same time, I'm somewhat losing respect for him for what, you know, with his recent antics. And like I said, I get it's promoting, but some, there, there's also a line as well. You don't attack other fighters, you know, significant other or family. Family's off limits. But, um,. Some reason he went on Twitter and uh, said, you know, said some things about Khabib's wife when they got married, I uh, believe, like this past weekend or last week. So, here's the thing: people need to realize, even the hard- hardcore McGregor fans, that, yeah, he's great, but look, man, there's. <laughs> How can I say this? There's there's people that, that are humbled and take pride in what they do, not only as a fighter, but in their religion as well and family. That's what they honor. That's what Khabib is all about. And every day, you know, his skills, he's constantly maturing. He's constantly getting better, stronger, faster. And that's what I realized, you know, one of the biggest mistakes for Conor McGregor is when he was... When his last fight was back in November of 2016, prior to Khabib, and he decides to come back this past season, back in 2018 of October, that's 23 months of ring rust, or cage rust, whatever you want to call it. And it's like, look, man, I don't care how great you are. You know, even Muhammad Ali had to get a tune-up fight. Muhammad Muhammad Ali didn't, you you know, once he got suspended from professional boxing he didn't come back and start, you know, throwing blows right away of Joe Fraser or excuse uh, uh, Joe Fraser or George Foreman. You know, he had he had to get his tune-up fights back in. That's normal. That's fine. They got to get acclimated back to the environment that they once were in. So I knew right away, I'm like I'm taking Khabib for that fight. There's no way. I mean, 23 months. That's there's no way. And that showed. Khabib was stronger. He was faster, and one of the things that kind of surprised me, on which I thought Connor might have a chance in, was the standup. Connor's always been impressive in stand stand-up game. He outboxed a uh, boxer with a boxing background in uh, Eddie Alvarez, and and that's that's Eddie Alvarez, Alvarez's strong suit, and he beat him, knocked him out. So I thought that that might give him a slight edge, and even then, Khabib, you know, <laughs> this man, he, he, he did a wonderful job. Whatever it was at training camp, watching film, he he out he outstruck Conor McGregor on the standing up, and then on the ground, I knew I was like Conor's never really been, you know, wrestling really hasn't really been his strong suit in the past. It showed with Nate Diaz. So when you take Conor McGregor to the ground, it's, you know, someone that's uh, you know, a very good fighter or a great fighter if they get someone like him on the ground, 50/50 chance there might be a submission. So, you know, and Khabib did did exactly like that. You know, he's he submitted him and that was it. And so <laughs> I don't know, Conor he announced that he retired. So I don't know what's going on now. I don't, I don't know if they're just gonna try and get a rematch going. I don't know. That's Dana White hasn't said anything uh, lately. So uh, a rematch uh, with Khabib? Uh, I, I totally disagree. Like I, I would wish to see like a, a Cowboy Donald Cerrone against Conor. That was talks a couple months ago. And I think that'd be fair. That'd be a fair fight. But, I mean, I don't know. Conor, <laughs> I just don't like the fact that if you if you announce retirement, and then a couple days later you bash on the fighter that you lost to and his family, like, to me, that's just a punk move. I don't, I don't care who you are. It's just, it's punk and it's blasphemous. So, that being said, Conor McGregor, look, man. I don't, I don't know what your, your game plan or your strategy is, but if you think you somehow found, if you found something, you found a hole in Khabib's game that people that we don't know, um, and I'm not saying he doesn't have, you know, his, uh, he's not ineff, not efficient, but he does, he doesn't show that he lacks anything because Khabib, he's undefeated. So with that being said, hey Connor. <laughs> Either, you know, what What are you doing? You know, are you are you retired? Or are you just going to take jabs at other fighters via Twitter? Like, what's going on here? So, with that being said, Conor McGregor, chill out. <laughs> you know, you know you had a great run. You know, if you're going to stay retired, leave it at that. Uh, with that being said, uh, let's turn things back on to recently. Anderson Silva has uh, announced fight coming up and right now he turns 44 in about a week or so so his last fight again his last fight against Idris Adesanya, for people that, that don't know he's basically in a sense Anderson Silva 2.0 um the dude is phenomenal i mean he's had over 100 professional fights or not over i would i would say professional but he's had over 100 fights in his career how's this so He's very experienced when it comes to boxing, kickboxing, and then he's had a hell of a amateur career in MMA before he decided to go pro. So this dude pretty much maxed everything he could at an amateur level before he realized, like, all right, I'm ready for the pros. And that's what makes him amazing. And the fight between Anderson Silva and Adesanya was, you know, I watched that fight, and it's like, It's time for Anderson Silva to retire. Because he still had the moves. He was still versatile. He could still throw the kicks and the punches. But at a lesser, not as strong pace as he once was in his career. You know, at the time, seeing him in his prime against Forrest Griffin or Stefan Bonner. You know, he, he could dodge move. And he was so quick with it. You know, like a... It, it was almost out of a Bruce Lee movie. And... And I would love to see a Prime Silva versus Adesanya, but... Because, it, man, it, that would be phenomenal. Because they're, they're both exactly alike. It's just Adesanya's in his prime, and he's, he's just about... God, I think he's 10 years younger. No, I think he's, he's more like 10... He's about 15 years younger, give or take. So... Adesanya is just a 2.0 Silva what you saw Adesanya do to Silva that that was Anderson Silva basically so and um either way man um I think Silva he turns 44 and I see I see a fighter that's just you know and he, he still hones the you know similar skills you know but you know it's it's one of those things that it's just it's time to call it quits same thing with uh you know like a Fedor Emelianenko. his last fight against Ryan, Ryan Bader he took a punch from Ryan Bader within the first round and it really wasn't that strong of a punch and Fedor fell to the ground and that was it and it's just like all right you know Fedor's 43 44 somewhere around that, that is Silva and it's just like all right time to call it quits it's you know, walk off to the sunset, it's just, you hate to see fighters like that get hurt, so, but, um, (coughs) either way, um, I hope Silva, you know, if this next fight, whoever it is, uh, I hope, I hope he wins, goes out on top, and just, you know, rides off into the sunset, and that's it, so, he's had a phenomenal career, definitely top five MMA fighter of all time, uh, no, no doubt about that, but, um, uh, to switch things up, as uh, recent reports came out during this whole Aaron Rodgers, and Mike McCarthy thing. In my last podcast, I discussed how Rodgers was toxic and defended McCarthy somewhat. Now, keep in mind, this locker room in Green Bay sounds similar to Pittsburgh. You know, lack of accountability, uh, responsibilities, you know, a lot, of, a lot of leaders, not a lot. Of, not a lot of followers willing to accept their role. So it seems that these reports that Mike McCarthy would have these team meetings and he would show up late, or I guess because he would have a massage. But he denies it. I don't know what's going on. Uh, Greg Jennings, former wide receiver wide receiver for the Green Bay Packers, has stated that uh, he he never saw any of that. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, it's just, it does seem kind of skeptical at the same time, because supposedly this report was in the works for about two months, and Mike McCarthy would go on a podcast, or radio show, whatever it was, and state, you know, make his claim, make his testimony before this report came out, so it's just like, eh, you know, so it's like, who knows, but what everyone knows is that <laughs> it's just I feel bad for Matt LeFeure. Le, excuse me. Matt Lefeure, Uh Former, uh, he went to Western Michigan as a player. Transferred to Saginaw Valley. Uh, he's, he's, he's from uh, Mount Pleasant, Michigan. And he's a young coach. About 38, 39. Uh, he's had experience uh, of you know being under Sean McAvee. And he coached uh offense coordinator last season at Tennessee Titans. And they, they came around about twenty-sixth, twenty-fifth in the league offense overall. So I don't know what Green Bay sees in him. I don't know. Uh he he has no coaching record whatsoever. So it's gonna be interesting. You know, you take, you know, a young coach like that and with uh Aaron Rodgers, it's just I don't know what <laughs> Either way, a lot of pressure is going to be on Aaron Rodgers. A lot of pressure. And as I said before, and I'll say it again, you know, Rodgers, he, excuse me, he, um, he has all these stats that's cool, but come clutch time, hey, a, uh, a stat that no one wants to know, especially Packer fans, is that Aaron Rodgers, he's 0-39 going into the fourth quarter against teams with a winning record with one point or less. Or not with one point or less, but it's like some—it's like a touchdown or less. So, he's only 39 against teams with a winning record going to the uh, fourth quarter when when they're losing. So, it's just, oh, man, that's a lot of pressure. And I get it, you know. You know, it's, you know, Packers' defense since the post-Super Bowl era hasn't been the same. On average, their defense is ranked around 19th in the league. So, it's really... Mediocre, below average, and I I will blame McCarthy for that. They did fail to you know to you know fill the needs on the defensive end. So it's uh, Green Bay. They're they're in shambles as much as Pitt, Pittsburgh is right now. But uh, with that being said, I appreciate everyone listening in today, and I hope everyone has a great Sunday. And uh, I'm out of here. God bless.